our heads and let's uh, go before the Lord. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we can come together to worship you, to hear you, Lord, and I do believe that you have a word for us. You want to speak to our hearts into our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would open our ears, our hearts, our minds to your spirit. And may you speak to us, Lord God. And may we hear you, Lord, and respond to you. We just thank you again for this time. And we give this to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So by now, I've mentioned how I've enjoyed, you know, I enjoy puzzles. I enjoy sports probably more than I should, but I do. I enjoyed a good UCLA win yesterday. Uh, oh, I heard a yay out there. Uh, I enjoy movies as well, all different kinds of movies. And I enjoy music just as much. I enjoy music just equally as much as movies and sports and and puzzles, and things like that, and I don't know how many of you enjoy music, but my favorite, I, I listen to all different genres of music, or not all genres, but different genres, but I think the, the music that I enjoy the most are the ones that I can emotionally connect with, or it, it, it speaks, or it gives some kind of tone of emotion, or something I can relate to. Any of you like that? I don't know about you, I'm kind of like a, a closet emotional person. I don't like to project that I'm an emotional person, but there are some songs that, you know, I may not relate to the situation of the song, but they're able to convey emotion or tell a story, something I can relate to or connect with. And some of the best songs, some of my favorite songs, I can have listened to it many times, but there'll be a song that'll be, it'll be playing on, uh, in the car or something like that, and it just tugs at my emotion a little bit. And I'll be like, you know, if someone's with me, I'm, like, I'm not going to show it, right? But I'm going, oh, I could feel it, you know? You get the goosebumps or, or your eyes almost begin to water, but someone's in the car, so you're like, you know, you, you don't want to show that, right? So my favorite worship songs are the ones that you, you're there and then you just find this connection, this emotional connection. It speaks to something that you're feeling or you could relate to, Right? We, I think we can all at some kind of level relate to that. and We enjoy, whether it's music or movies or anything that we can emotionally connect with, we can relate to, we can associate with, or it makes us feel something. Those are the things that really kind of get us like, ah, that's a good one, right? Today we're going to look at a passage that I think at some level we'll be able to relate to, to connect with. We may not be able to relate to the situation or the circumstance, but I bet we can relate to the emotion or something about the experience that we can say, you know what, I've been there, or I can feel that. And once again, we're going to see that in the midst of a circumstance, that God has work, was working in, he's going to also be showing a bigger plan. Something that he's doing in a bigger scope than even in that individual circumstance. And we've been seeing throughout our time in Mark, right? we've been looking at these themes of, of faith and doubt, belief and unbelief. 
And I bet we can all relate to that struggle of faith and unbelief, right? Doubt. We struggle with that sense of wonder. We also can relate to that struggle wrestling with why do I doubt or why do I believe? Some of us demand those kind of, uh, we have a whole bunch of questions we want answered. And what if we do not have all the answers we require to believe? Right? We have all these questions like, I need these answers in order to believe. But what if we don't have those answers? Are you willing to trust and believe even though you, don't, you have questions that aren't answered in the moment? So we're going to take a look at that today in our passage. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9. I encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, it's right, there's some Bibles in the, in the pews in front of you. I'll have the passages on the screen up ahead. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 14. And it reads like this. And when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with the spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out. And they could not do it. Let's backtrack a little bit and remind ourselves what happened last week. Jesus is returning from the mountain with Peter, James, and John, right? The inner three. They're returning down from the mountain. And last week we saw that the inner three just witnessed a small glimpse of the Lord's glory. He was transfigured. His appearance was made whiter than they've ever seen before. And they were shown a glimpse of this eternal glory. But it was much more than that. Jesus forecasted his fulfillment of being the deliverer and the suffering servant. We saw that Moses and Elijah, who once met with the Lord up in the mountain, once again met with the Lord up on the mountain. But this time, Jesus speaks of how he will fulfill his mission. He speaks with Moses and Elijah about him fulfilling his mission as both deliverer and suffering servant. And can you imagine being Moses and Elijah, realizing the faithfulness, how they lived their life, their life experiences was being fulfilled It was a foreshadowing, a forecasting what Jesus would do. Can you imagine if you were Moses and Elijah seeing that Jesus saying, now is the time. I am fulfilling what you experienced. What you experienced in your life was a foreshadowing of what I would do. Can you imagine being Moses and Elijah in that moment realizing, wow, all that I experienced, these moments that I experienced in my life, this is what it was meant for. That God was going to use what I experienced to do something greater than I even realized in that moment. What an amazing moment that would have been for Moses and Elijah. 
So as they return, as, as Jesus returns with Peter, James, and John, as they're going down the mountain, they return. They see in the midst of a crowd of people the scribes debating or disputing or arguing with the rest of the disciples. And so when the crowd sees Jesus returning, they run to Jesus like, oh, thank God, you're here. And Jesus goes and he asks, what's all the fuss, right? What are you guys arguing about now? What is it this time? Then a voice comes out from the crowd of people. It's this father. And this father brings his son. We don't know how old this son is. But he brings a son who's been plagued by a demon since his childhood. And this evil spirit has ravaged his life since he was a kid. Would take over cause him to be mute, wouldn't be able to speak, would seize him, throw him to the ground, causing him to foam at the mouth, grind his teeth, and become stiffened. If you look at this scene, if you can imagine this, child, this, this son going through this, you would think this is something straight out of a horror movie. Something straight out of some kind of horror movie or show that you've seen. Sometimes we look at these scenes and we think, man, that's fiction, that's just fake. What we don't realize is there's truth to these depictions we see. That indeed these kind of things do happen. This, do, this does take place. And so the father who brings a son who's been seized by these, this demon... Jesus isn't there, but some of his disciples are there. He tells the disciples, please cast out this evil spirit from my son. But the disciples couldn't do it. They were unable to cast out this demon. And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. It's interesting, Jesus addresses the Father, but he's, he's not just addressing the Father, but he addresses them. He's talking to them. Who is them? Is Jesus just referring to the disciples? Is he just referring to the scribes? I think Jesus is making a general statement. He's looking out at these people. And he says, oh, unbelieving generation, how much longer must I endure your unbelief. How much longer must I endure your doubts? Last week we looked at how the Lord described himself in Exodus 34. The Lord describes himself, he, he says, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. The Lord, he's compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he is so patient with us. I think I mentioned this last week. Can you imagine if the Lord had the same level of patience as we do of others? Is that a frightening thought? Parents, can you imagine if the Lord showed you patience, the same amount of patience as you do of your own kids? If God showed you the same endurance, 
long-suffering with you as you do with your kids, you probably wouldn't be sitting here today, right? How much does God endure our unbelief and our doubt with him? And Jesus looking at this generation and all he sees is their unbelief. Man, we should be thankful every day, if not just for God's grace and his patience with us. Jesus says to him, bring the son to me. I don't know if he sighed in exasperation. (sighs) Bring him to me. He goes on. And they brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground and began rolling about, foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and has often thrown him both into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So they bring the son to Jesus. And when the son saw Jesus, the evil spirit immediately threw the son into convulsions on the ground. And it began rolling around on the ground, foaming at the mouth, grinding its teeth. You notice each time what we've seen in Mark, when a person is demon-possessed, encounters the the presence of Jesus, they're unable to hide. Manifests itself in some way. And previously in Mark, the, the evil spirit immediately proclaimed who Jesus was. You are the Holy One of God. Jesus casts him out and silences the demon. But this time we see a more demonstrative reaction. This demon immediately seizes the boy, convulses at the ground, foams at the mouth. I've mentioned before how the spiritual affects the physical. This son has been afflicted by this demon since childhood. And this spirit would cause him, would even throw him into fire and water to destroy him, to kill him. And I can't remind us all enough that we have an enemy. Satan is our enemy and all he wants to do is to destroy you. This is a great reminder that Satan wants to destroy you. And he will do any means to do it. If he can use pleasure or pain to destroy your life, he will do it. If it's using something you think you will enjoy to take you away from God, he will do it. If it means to distort truth, to deceive you, he will do it. If it is to distract you from truth, the enemy will do it to destroy you. The enemy is crafty, but make no mistake, the enemy wants to destroy your life. Parents understand there is an enemy that wants to destroy the lives of your children. There's an enemy out there that wants to destroy your marriage. 
There's an enemy who's out there to destroy your family. There's an enemy out there who wants to destroy who you are. Your identity. He wants to destroy your sense of worth. He wants to destroy your faith. And he'll do whatever means to do it. You have to get that. You have to be aware of who the true enemy is. And the father makes a plea to Jesus. He says, if you can do anything, take pity on me or take pity on us and help us. Now, if you've been with us in Mark, this may sound similar. This encounter may sound similar going back to Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Remember, in the very beginning of Mark, we looked at, there was this leper. And a leper came to him, beseeching Jesus and falling on his knees before him, saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing be cleansed. Here we have this leper who goes before Jesus, falls on his knees before him, and begs Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now this sounds similar to our passage today, right? But there's a difference. There's a difference in these two pleas for help. Right? And the, first, the one we just read and this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But the leper doesn't question Jesus' ability. What he does is he appeals to Jesus' desire, right? Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, I know you can. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus saw this man, this leper, and had compassion, was moved with compassion for him, touched this leper, picked him up, and he was clean. The leper believed Jesus could heal. This father appeals. He says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. See, at this point, this man did not know whether Jesus would or even could deliver his son from this demon. He didn't know, what, he wasn't convinced whether he would or could. Perhaps it was because the disciples couldn't do it. So maybe at that point when he saw Jesus, he's like, I don't know, if you could. See, this was not lost with Jesus. Look at Jesus' response. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Here's one of my favorite moments in the Gospels. This is one of my favorite moments in the Gospels. Why? Because many can relate to this moment. See, we may not be able to relate to experiencing incredible miracles, right? We may not be able to could, uh, say we've experienced these great miracles these of biblical po- uh, proportions. We may think we're, we've been unable to relate to these extraordinary acts of faith in our life. But I think many of us can relate to this father. 
We can relate to needing something so desperately. But being unsure, your needs can be met. How many of us can relate to that? You're so desperate for a solution. You're so desperate for change. But you just don't, you you don't know if anything could even solve this problem. You're not even sure if God can make things better. Maybe you can relate to the fact that you even want to believe. There's something inside you that tells you you want to believe. But you're unsure if you have all the answers for you that you need in order to believe. How many of you can relate to that? You doubt, you're filled with uncertainty, but there's something in you that tells you to be desperate to believe. You hear about this Jesus, right? Week after week, someone tells you about Jesus, you grow up thinking about Jesus, hearing about Jesus, You're hearing all these good things and it all sounds great, but you have these doubts. You have all these questions. You may think, but Pastor Mike, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't understand what I've been going through all this time. There's never any solutions. You don't know how difficult my life is right now. I don't even think God wants to help me. I don't even think God wants to show compassion for me. I don't even know if he can change things. Verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and dumb spirit. Now, I don't advise you to quote Jesus on this when you're talking to somebody. You want, you're a parent, you want your kids to be quiet. You know, I don't recommend quoting Jesus this way. But Jesus says, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, raised him up, and he got up. Showing Jesus' authority over evil and the spiritual, he commands the demon to come out of him and to never go to him again. We know in Luke that the Spirit would come in and out of this person, would seize him in and out into these episodes. But once the demon leaves the son, the witnesses thought he was dead. He laid there like a corpse. But just similar to other times, what does Jesus do? He takes the son by the hand, raises him up, and the son gets up, free of the demons. And when he had come into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. And from there they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he was, willing, or he was unwilling for anyone to know about it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. 
So afterwards, away from the crowds, the disciples asked Jesus, why were we unable to cast out the demons? And Jesus responds, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Now it's kind of interesting, Mark has never hesitated to mention the disciples' lack of faith. But he doesn't mention that here. Matthew does mention it in 1720. He says, because of the littleness of your faith. The littleness of your faith. So the disciples were unable to cast out this demon because of two things. They lacked sufficient faith and they failed to approach the situation properly in prayer. Two reasons Jesus gives. They lacked sufficient faith and they failed to approach the situation properly in prayer. Now, how relatable is this? How many of us can relate to this? We may not relate to the situation the disciples found themselves in, right? But remember, Jesus previously gave these disciples the authority to cast out demons, right? And successfully, demons were casted out because they were given this authority, However, this time they were unable to. And it left them wondering why. I wonder if perhaps they relied on the authority that they were given before. And perhaps they thought, well, we have the power to do it. We can do it. And they were unable to. Because they relied on their power as opposed to relying on God's power. Speculation on my part. But it's very relatable We could relate to this happening. Perhaps when they couldn't do it, and the scribes said, look at you. See, I knew it. You're a fraud. You're afraid you couldn't do it yourselves. So many times we think we have the power. We think, well, God gave me the ability to do this, so I should be able to do it myself. And sometimes we pray or beg God to make us successful in our attempts a common prayer we have. But do we stop to consider and do we stop to pray, Lord, will you be the power that makes change happen? Can you be the power that makes change in our, not my doing. See, so many times we pray, God, help me to be successful in what I do. Help me to be able to be capable of doing these sort of things. And we, we commonly pray for that. But how much do we really say, Lord, I will do the best that I can and you will enable me to do so, but will you be the power to change things in my life? Can you get the credit for what you do in your life, not myself? If you've been with us the last few weeks in in Mark, hopefully you've picked up on the idea that perhaps there's more to the story that meets the eye, right? That God is not only doing something in the micro level, in the individual situation, but he's also doing something bigger. God is doing more than we realize, and he works for a purpose in wider scope than we can imagine. I think once again, we see the same situation. We have a a moment of desperation. This time, it's a father who has a son who's possessed by an evil spirit. But we can relate to the desperation of the Father, right? Many of us can relate to that sense of desperation. 
perhaps we've exhausted all resources, we exhausted all alternatives, or we're just bur- we're bearing the burden of our circumstances. Whether it's the burden based on what you've done or it wasn't of your doing. And sometimes in how we deal with that burden goes back to that very important question we looked at the last two weeks. Who do you say Jesus is? How you respond to those circumstances very much is, is, is dependent upon how you answer it. Who is Jesus to you? You may know of Jesus, but do you really, are you sure of your faith in Christ? You may say, I just have so many questions, not enough answers. I don't even know why I doubt so much. I think this father's experience speaks very loudly. Notice he started off telling Jesus, if you can, right? He started when he saw Jesus, if you can. He went from there to, what does he say? I believe, help my unbelief. The father wants to believe, but ask Jesus to help him with whatever is causing him to doubt. The, pro- the father probably didn't realize it in the moment, but what he was saying was very much a prayer, wasn't it? Help me with whatever about me is keeping me from believing. He went from if you can, to, okay, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me with whatever is causing this doubt. Help me with whatever it is that prevents me from fully believing. See, the Father's first request asked Jesus to change his circumstances, right? The Father's first request, help change my circumstances, But what was his second request? The second request, the father asked Jesus to change him. He went from asking to change his circumstances to change me. Change whatever it is that's causing me to not believe, to have doubt. Help me with that. Whatever it is that's causing me, preventing me to have doubt or unbelief, help me with that. I love this quote by Oswald Chambers. He says, Modern disciples need to concentrate more on how prayer changes us and less on how it changes things. Prayer is getting ourselves attuned to God, not getting God attuned to us. It is developing the life of God in us, not self-development. I'll let that sink in a little bit. He's saying, look, your prayers should be less about God changing your circumstances and more about God changing you. It should be less about, God, don't you understand me? God, don't you see my problem? God, don't you understand what I'm going through? God, don't you hear what I'm saying and all I'm doing? To God, help me understand you. Help me to know you better. There's a direct correlation between faith 
in the Lord's intervention throughout our time in Mark. See, on a larger scope, Jesus is preparing the disciples, right, for what's to come. He's preparing them. He's telling them he will be delivered into the hands of men. He will be killed and he'll rise three days later. And however, and this is the second time he's mentioned it to them, but they still don't understand. They're still not getting it. But you see this language and this picture presented here in this situation, it's no coincidence, but I think it's very purposeful. In between Jesus declaring his future death and resurrection, right, we see it in verse 9, and we see here in verse 31, Jesus delivers the son. This man's only son, he delivers him from spiritual affliction and bondage and sets that son free. What a beautiful picture. See what Jesus is doing, this foreshadowing. In between him warning the disciples, I will die, I will be arrested, but I will rise again. He delivers the son. In other words, the Lord's saying, remember this, because I'm telling you ahead of time what I'm going to do. In the midst of this big picture, Jesus is teaching us a lesson as well, a very relatable lesson. Maybe you find yourself identifying with this Father's words. You may say to God, if you can, if you can do anything, can you please show me some compassion and help me? We want to have the words that follow. I do believe. Lord, can you help me with my unbelief? Can you help me with the areas of my life that's causing me to doubt? I want to urge us, if we find ourselves in that situation, that there's something in us that tells us to believe. But you're waiting to have all the questions answered in order for you to believe. I challenge you to pray this. Pray for those areas of doubt. Pray less about change of your circumstance. And pray more like, God, can you help me to not doubt you anymore? You have shown yourself faithful so many times in my life, and yet here I am still doubting you. Still asking and demanding you to do something to prove yourself to me. Can you just help me in these areas of doubt in my life? Faith takes steps when you don't have all the answers, right? Faith means taking steps when you don't have all the answers. That's what faith is. If you're waiting for all the answers to your questions, you know what that is? You're just waiting to find excuses. You're waiting to find more excuses. You're going to always have reasons to doubt in your mind. But so many times we're trying to find excuses to not believe, to not trust God. But God calls us to live by faith. Trust Him. You know why? Because if we don't trust Him, if we don't take take steps of faith, 
knowing we don't have all the answers, because then if we don't, we're going to always live self-centered and self-driven. We're going to always live with the need to prove ourselves. We're going to be self-centered. We're not going to trust in God. And we're not going to see the need for God. If you're relying on yourself to find the answers, you're not going to see their need for God. Why should I even believe? That's why God says, live by faith. Trust me. You won't have all the answers. I do. I see you. I know what you're going through. Trust me. It's not about what I can do. What do you believe I can do in your life? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, there may be people right now who are struggling. They're struggling to believe. They're struggling to trust you. They have a whole bunch of questions, but maybe, Lord, they're not asking the right questions. Sometimes it's not even about the questions. Sometimes it's just scary to trust when we don't have all the answers. Lord, I pray if there's people here struggling with doubt, struggling to know whether they can trust you with their life, whether you're even able to help them in their circumstance. Lord, I pray their prayer to you today is, Lord, help my unbelief. Help me whatever in those areas in my heart and my mind, whatever I experienced, whatever it is I went through that's causing me to doubt, causing me to question you, causing me to wonder whether you can do anything in my life. Lord, I pray that you would minister and speak to those areas in their life, Lord. And they would take steps of faith to trust you. May you speak to them now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, let's worship.